Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. We've done over 20 shows at this point. His name is Ken and me, and he writes a lot on a lot, very in-depth, superbly researched books on specific elements of the Bible, the Bible stories. Uh, this one is, is titled, that we're going to talk about today, is titled The King, Og of Bashan is Dead, The Man, The Myth, The Legend of a Nephilim Giant, question mark. And goes over some of the similar themes that we've talked about in the past shows about kind of pop uh, religion or pop Christianity, whether the Nephilim are still around today. And Ken has had some pretty good debates with other people whose names I won't mention about the subject of whether the Nephilim are around. And some other uh, Christians in quotes have made a career out of uh, the Nephilim existing post-flood, which very tenuous uh, records in the Bible for that, but and he mentions those again in this book, but he can talk about the importance of Og Bashan, and again, glad to have back Ken and me. So Ken, welcome back to the show. Ahoy, Poloi. How's it going? The good one. That's a good uh, Way to start off with a Caddyshack reference. Yeah, well, when you mentioned that during our last talk, I got such a kick out of it. <laughs> I had to. <laughs> you can go well you can go watch that on um you know youtube or something because danny is wearing the captain's hat and just looking all spiffy and the spalding the nose picker <laughs> it's such a great scene it's so great and the boat is the mighty wasp it's so funny it's just such a funny sequence and he does the, the bad jokes the judge mail Ah, what was his name? What was it? White? What was the guy's name who played Judge Mails or whatever? It was. Uh, it's been literally decades since I've watched yeah. that movie, but oh. that's why I got such a kick out of the Ahoy Poloi thing because yeah. I to totally, I'm sure I never even caught it the first time. He, um, the, the I think it's Fred White. What was his name? Can't even remember. Uh, thanks, CD Kaleo, $10 super chat. Thank you very much. We haven't even got started yet. We're Thank telling you. jokes. We're telling comedy yeah. references. We're, we're um, not talking about uh, Bashan. We're talking about Caddyshack. Right, Caddyshack. Uh, King anyway. Argo Caddyshack. <laughs> Ted White. Ted Ted Knight. Ted Knight was his name. Yeah, Ted Knight was, uh, he was great in that movie. He was actually really great. He's a great comedian, funny guy. It's too bad he's not around. He was a crucial element of all of Caddyshack's, you know, <laughs> his, he was the foil. Um, but yeah, so... Anyway, we can talk about this book. You know, you've done a lot of these books. You've got different um, covers. You used Blake in the past. This one was uh, Dor Dore. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Gustav Dor, is that right? But right. Um, why don't you talk about the interest in, in Aga Pashan, why why story is important, and all the research you did into this subject. Well, see, I'm, I'm glad you emphasized the question mark at the end of the subtitle because that subtitle is totally bunk. And I did that on purpose, of course. Um, so in the introduction of the book, I explained really um, sort of how I was working on this book and doing the research. I mentioned it to a friend of mine. and He says, oh, well, what does the Bible say about Og? And I go, uh, virtually nothing. And he says, well, then how are you going to write a whole book about him? And so there it went, you know, there's the whole book and why I ended up writing a whole book about somebody who's barely mentioned in the Bible at all. Uh, someone about whom we know virtually nothing. 
And that is because of what you touched upon already, which is uh, sort of the fascination. You know, I like to come up with terminology. So I refer to it as gigorexia nervosa, right? Uh, the obsession with seeing giants and just making them up where they're nowhere to be seen, right? So now that Og is barely mentioned at all in the Bible actually plays a big part into why I wrote about him and why so many people have written, written so much about him over the millennia. It's because people like to take characters that are barely mentioned at all in the Bible, and then they write who knows what it is. It may be historical fiction, it may be myth, legend, folklore, uh, fraud, uh, hoaxes, who knows? It depends on the motivation. but. So we know that uh, Og was a king, right? I mean, come on, he was Og, the OG, the original gangster. The original, right. Gangster of the Middle and, uh, East. <laughs> so, I mean, I personally in the book, I didn't focus too much about the region in which he lived and his rulership and all that. I'm just focused on the man, really. Um, and then so... What happens with Og is that he falls into the hands of, again, call it what you will, let's just say folklorists. And then uh, throughout the millennia, you have various stories about Og, how he was absolutely gigantic to the point that he's picking up an entire mountain to throw at the Israelites. And how, even though in reality, he lived centuries post-flood, uh, all of a sudden we have him living pre-flood and he survives by hanging on to the side of the ark with Noah feeding him through the window you know you have all this I mean all this folklore about him uh, to the point that he literally becomes the stuff of myth and legend that's why the man the myth the legend and we'll get to the Nephilim giant part in a minute so that's what was really uh what really fascinates people is to make much ado about not very much. And so, and you have leeway because when you barely know anything about somebody, then it's easier to make up a whole bunch of stuff about them. Uh, the more fantastical, the better when it comes to folklore, right? <laughs> I mean, so for example, the uh, first Enoch or Ethiopian, uh, Ethiopic Enoch has Nephilim being miles tall, okay, miles. And that's great folklore. I mean, it's poor reality, but it's great folklore, right? The bigger, the better, the more exciting. Why not? So the same thing happened to Og. Um, but people are going to say, well, but the little detail that we do about do know about him is what's key. And so let's just uh, for a moment talk about the Nephilim giant part. So first of all, uh, that was really just a keyword part of the subtitle. So you wouldn't say a Nephilim because a is singular in English, but Nephilim is a Hebrew male plural. So that alone lets you know that uh, somebody doesn't really know what they're talking about, even though I, I did it on purpose, because you run across that so much online that people don't even understand the linguistics enough to recognize that if you're talking about an individual, he would be a Nephil, right? Not the M. M is the male plural part. 
And as far as giant, well, you know me, uh, the first thing I would ask is what do you mean by that vague, generic, subjective, multi-usage, modern English word? And generally people use it nowadays. And incidentally, that's an important aspect of linguistic. There's such a thing as a definition of a word or a meaning of a word versus the usage of a word. And those things can be completely different, right? I mean, um, when you isolate a word and you give, okay, these are the meanings of it or the definitions, that's one thing, but how it's used can be completely different. Like in, like in our culture saying that something's good, you'd say, oh, that's bad, you know, that's sick, oh, that's killer. Those terms have nothing to do with anything good, but that's the usage. That's not the meaning or definition. So then, biblically, when you're reading in certain English Bibles and you see the word giant, you need to 100% not even imagine that it's implying anything about unusual height whatsoever, because it's not. That English word is either rendering, not even translating, it's either rendering the Hebrew word Nephilim or the Hebrew word Rephaim, period. That's it. And why is it doing that? Well, because those English translators who choose to do that are merely picking up on the Septuagint, right? The LXX, which renders, doesn't even translate, renders um, Nephilim, Rephaim, and also Gibarim, all as gigantes, which is a Greek word that means earthborn, as in born of Gaia, right? And so again, in the Greek, you don't have any reference to height. Those words are just merely rendering Nephilim and Raphael. And now if you're going off into uh, Gigorexia Nervosa land, or what I call Neo-Theo sci-fi, you're gonna say, yeah, but Nephilim and Raphael, they were giants. And now you're going in this circle of employing a word and using it incorrectly. But okay, let's go with that. Where do you get that idea? Certainly not from the Bible, and we'll get to that in just a second. But the fact that the Septuagint also renders Giborim as gigantes goes to show it implies nothing about unusual height because Giborim unlike some of the pop researchers would tell you, that's not a people group. It's merely a descriptive term that means might or mighty. Okay, so it cannot imply height, uh, particularly when you consider them, that in the Bible, who is referred to a, as a gibor? Uh, well, Nephilim, sure, absolutely, but also some of David's soldiers, also angels, also Boaz, Right. So obviously it's just saying that they're might, they, they possess might or they're mighty. That's it. So now all that to say that uh, it's best to absolutely ignore the English word giant and just say what you mean. If you mean Nephilim, just say that. If you mean Raphael, just say that. If you're referring to subjectively unusual height, then just say that. Because uh, I've read so many papers and books uh, where 
people are using the word giant to mean at least three different things. And they're not bothering to tell their audience along the way or their readers or listeners what they mean uh, by any, at any given usage. It's just that I know because I, I've learned to pick up on it. And so most of this book is actually uh, running the gamut, uh, reviewing website articles, blog posts, and peer-reviewed journal papers. So basically, pop researchers all the way to actual scholars and what they have to say about AUG. So one of the, the key features that we have in AUG is this biblical statement in Deuteronomy 3, which says, only King Og of Bashan remained of the remnant of the Rephaim. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Is it not in uh, Rabbah the, of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth of it, after the cubit of a man. And, and incidentally, I, I was just reading the King James, and I threw in the word Rephaim in place of where it has giants, because again, what's the point of adding confusion? That's <laughs> so right there when it says remnants of the giants, okay, again, forget unusual height. It's telling you remnant of the Rephaim, but it goes on to describe a bed that's not only made of iron, so it's obviously meant to be extremely hefty, but also that is just roughly, let's just go with 13 feet right around there. Why not? And so the non sequitur is that, um, well, if I measure my own bed and then I measure my own height, there's about a foot difference right there. So you figure out it's the same for King Og. So he must have been right around 12 feet, 13 feet. Okay, but um, that actually would be a conclusion based on a few different assumptions. Uh, one is that what on earth would make us think that he's uniquely that tall? Well, how on earth would that happen? And here's where you come in with the sci-fi. <laughs> and and you turn him into a Nephil somehow because he lived post-flood. So now you have to somehow get Nephilim past the flood either by surviving or by returning or genetically or, you know, there's any number of literally merely invented theories that are artificially inserted into the Bible about that. Each one, incidentally, that implies that God failed. Because now you have God seeking to be rid of the Nephilim via the flood, uh, but failing. He couldn't get the job done. They either survive or they return or they make it through genetically and God missed those loopholes. Okay, so that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is when it comes to iron, yeah, that was certainly a, a version of a precious metal back then. But um, if you had, you know, if you had the shekels to do it, you would want furniture made out of something other than wood because then you could ward off insects that would corrupt it. And the main issue is the term Eres. E-R-E-S, uh, e right? E-R-E-S. Right. So what does that mean? Well, yeah, it's generally been translated as bed, but then you have to ask, what does that mean? And, and, and see, 
it's easy to say, um, I was a giant, let's move on from there and build some folklore and neo-theo sci-fi. I dig you too, Fire, by the way. <laughs> I was just going to write to her, you're in luck. You can go listen to the, the over 20 shows you and I have done in the past. Yes, sir. William Ramsey Investigates on my podcast, not on YouTube. So the, all the audio is still out. Incidentally, just this past week, I listened to our show on Kenneth Lanning's FBI report on oh, satanic yeah. ritual abuse. And that was some good stuff. Cool, man. <laughs> I yeah, really I enjoyed know. listening to it after all this time. I'm glad the those are saved, you know. Still disturbing as anything, but it was, uh, yeah, that was a good discussion. So anyhow, yeah, I, so I was just emphasizing that this just gets really complicated. And sorry, you have to deal with the complications. It's just not as easy as you might want it to be. So now, uh, bed, what could that be? That's one question. The other issue is that some people have said that it really should be translated as coffin or sarcophagus. And the other option is a dolmen. Okay, dolmen just meaning like a stack of uh, megalithic type rocks, like um, Stonehenge would be a, a type, you know, roughly speaking of a dolmen. Um, if it's a sarcophagus or coffin, again, it'd be easy to say, well, you know, he was a, sh a foot shorter than his coffin or sarcophagus. Yeah, I mean, you could certainly say that, but um, let's keep something in mind about whether it's a sarcophagus or coffin or a bed is can we really correlate King Og to us regular modern guys? I would say not. I mean, I, again, my bed is about a foot longer uh, taller than I am, but I'm not an ancient King uh, living the lifestyles of the rich and infamous. You know, I, I don't have such luxuries. <laughs> um, I'm not a sovereign, right? I mean, I'm just a regular guy. So that's at least something to consider. And um, so if it's a coffin or a sarcophagus, same deal. I mean, we know of extremely lavish um, burial ceremonies and objects. Uh, for example, if you look at King Tut, if I remember correctly, I know I have that in the book, but uh, his uh, sarcophagus is like um, something like three feet longer than he is. Why? Because he was a king, you know, come on. He was a, a pharaoh. Uh, but let's just, why not break it down to that it was a bed? I mean, that's just uh, keeping it simple and why not? Uh, because that's just been common. Okay, what do you mean by bed? Oh, this, this thing that you sleep in at night? Well, not necessarily. <laughs> because the fact is that um, at the Eteremeki uh, ziggurat, Archaeologists found a bed that fits the dimensions of Og's bed. And guess what? It was not meant to be slept on. It's a ritual object. It's a ritual object upon which alleged gods and supposed goddesses would mate. So even if it's a straight up uh, translation is bed, then you see, you don't get to just jump to a conclusion. You still have to deal with what, what does that mean? And in this case, it seems pretty certain that it just refers to that he was in possession of a ritual object that was just meant for, you know, occult practices, let's just say. And so the point is, it's not as easy as it is for the pop researchers who get to just pick something up and run with it and build Sounds an entire good, yeah. 
and they build an entire theory that's just super simplistic and it sounds great and boy is it ever exciting and i'm not i'm not saying that sarcastically i love if you listen to these guys if they just admitted they were doing fiction i would absolutely adore it because it's super exciting interesting stuff but they actually claim to be doing theology and that's really the problem right and i think that's important it's kind of a theme in some of our biblically based shows is the importance of interpretation and another the science of interpretation a word you use in this book hermeneutics right right hermeneutics hermeneutics sorry i can't pronounce it um but yeah, yeah i think that it's like that's that's the difference and that's what people are engaged in and some of that analysis some of that hermeneutics or whatever you uh, they are not um they're not as integrity they don't have that integrity to the text would you agree with that well, absolutely. And I mean, so really the, 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 the premise behind why I wrote this book is because whenever I'm studying up on my nephilology, I run across references to Og and I'm thinking, what does he have to do with anything? He, he has no relation to Nephilim whatsoever, period, full stop. He's not in the field. He's a refa. Um, even if you want to imagine that he was 12, 13 feet tall, what does that have to do with Nephilim anyway? Genesis 6 gives us no physical description of them whatsoever. And the one and only other biblical reference to them comes out of the mouths of utterly unreliable, contradictory, unfaithful, disloyal embellishers who present an evil report that contains five assertions about which the whole entire rest of the Bible knows nothing and are rebuked by God. <laughs> but what does it matter? The, um, the pop nephilologists, they just pick up that one statement from those guys. They actually believe it and they turn it into a hermeneutic through which then they read the whole entire rest of the Bible. And that's, absolutely legitimate on so many levels it's kind of hard to believe and so this is why you end up with a guy that has nothing to do with nephilim whatsoever not not chronologically not uh, genetically nothing period full stop whatsoever and all of a sudden he's turned into some kind of uh nephil that somehow came about and so what happens is that what the nephilology uh, pop nephilologists do is they'll somehow turn Rephaim into nephilim 2.0 and sometimes quite literally like i debated uh tj stedman and most of his research is really really fascinating and accurate but as is typical the problem isn't the data points it's how he connects them that's the issue and so he has this wild sci-fi scenario where Nimrod post-flood undergoes rituals that gets people possessed with the spirits of dead Nephilim, and that's what becomes Rephaim. I mean, this is pure fantasy. It's pure fantasy based on, partly on folklore from millennia after the, even the Torah is written. But this is what you have to do. So then Og and all Rephaim actually become the living dead. And I'm not even exaggerating. Now that's because the root word, Repha, 
it's notoriously complicated. In my book, What Does the Bible Say About Giants and Nephilim? I styled Giantology and Nephilology. I have an entire chapter just on Rephaim, and, and the root word Repha has such a range of meaning, it can refer to healing or it can refer to the dead. I mean, think about that range right there. It's like one extreme or the other. <laughs> and so what happens is this is when the pop researchers will appeal to ancient Near East literature, uh, Eucharitic literature, I mean, literature from just anywhere around the Middle East of those days, and they'll actually incorporate pagan theology into their biblical theology because they'll say, well, in that literature, in those pagan cultures, the Raphaim were like uh, the dead that could be summoned. And so that's why Raphaim and the Bible are these living dead entities. It's like, oh, no, <laughs> no. And in fact, in the Eucharist literature, what it talks about is how when kings or heroes die, they are referred to as kings or heroes. But after they've been dead for a while, they're referred to by the Eucharistic pronunciation of Raphaim. Okay, and yeah, they claim to have certain rituals where they could be summoned by name. You call them up by name. Uh, incidentally, let me just throw this in. This is why it was accurate when the whole um, BLM thing was going on. Okay, you know what I mean? Um, that they kept saying the slogan was uh, say her name, say her name, say her name. You remember that? Yeah, it wasn't the one like a, a witch, one of the BLM. Oh, yeah, people. absolutely. Yeah. Occultist. yeah, besides being Marxist. But let's not get off on that. The point being, people were pointing out, well, wait a minute. These are occult rituals that they're invoking. And it's true. It was. It was invoking the dead by name. And so in these pagan cultures, that's what they would do. They would invite them to feasts or whatever. So... So this is how you have a 100% human guy for whom we have no physical description whatsoever, all of a sudden becoming a living dead, quote unquote, giant. You know, I mean, that's it's how it just works. It's extraordinary. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Yeah. He's yeah. Been mentioned in Deuteronomy. So it's the time uh, after Exodus, the Israelites are in the wilderness. They're scoping out the promised land. And there's other mentions of things to the, the 10 spies go in and say wow these are very you know they're we look like grasshoppers and so that also contextual they use that contextualization and implicate aug as being like this this giant too but they use that to kind of justify the the whole idea that these people were giants or nephilim or something like that well let's let's get into that just a sec because that's actually very important um so Oh, the way that works out, and by the way, he's also mentioned in other places in the Bible, but much more in passing. That's why I read the, the one quote that's kind of the, the money quote. <laughs> so the way this works is as follows. We read number 1333. Hopefully you don't interact with the narrative. You don't read for context. You don't do any of that. You just pick up that one single verse and you're off and running with it <laughs> because that makes it easier right to to kind of uh build your grand theory right so what happens 
and incidentally, number 1333 is one of the verses of the evil report by utterly unreliable, unfaithful, disloyal, contradictory guys whom God rebukes. And there's no way to back any other statements. It's just absolutely a tall tale. That's all it was. But what happens in the evil report is the guys claim that they saw Nephilim and that Anakim are related to them and that Nephilim were very, very, very tall. Okay. So now Anakim were a subgroup of Raphaim or like a clan of a, of a tribe, I guess we could think of it that way. And so you can't even get, okay, it, let, me, let me take another side uh, track because what happens then in Deuteronomy 2, it tells us that I, Anakim were, guess what? They were tall. Okay, another subjective, generic, uh, vague, multi-usage usage term okay so tall what does that mean well tall compared to the average israelite male who in those days was five foot even maybe five three so what does tall mean i don't know six feet compared to those guys would be tall six six and a half certainly be tall seven sure why not i mean <laughs> But there's no reason to just go into these outlandish heights because you're talking about a, a term that's subjective, uh, tall, just like huge, just like big, just like giant. All those terms are the same. You need to know what they're being compared to. And so then we're told also in Deuteronomy 2 that Rephaim in general were tall. Okay. But since that's essentially meaningless, you need to rely on one single statement in the evil report to say, well, okay, if Nephilim are related to Anakim and Nephilim were very, 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 very ridiculously tall, then Anakim must have been that way as well, for which we have zero data and certainly zero reliable data. So you don't even get Rephaim being anywhere near that tall from anywhere, just the Anakim subgroup, the clan, even if you're going to go, I mean, if you're going to be so convoluted, that's about as far as you can go. And incidentally, in the Septuagint version, the LXX, in, the, in that version of the evil reports, verse 33, you don't even have a reference to Anakim, period. <laughs> it just says that we saw Nephilim. It doesn't even mention Anakim. So guess what? That's even dubious if you're trying to build a theory about Anakim being related to Nephilim. And again, in order to get them to actually be related, you need to invent unbiblical tall tales about how Nephilim made it past the flood. Right. Uh, you're, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a gigantic, vicious circle. It, it always goes back to the same thing. And it always stems from, I want to be able to claim quote-unquote giants in the Bible, and I'll do anything I have to. I'll ignore linguistics. I'll ignore theology. I'll ignore hermeneutics. I'll ignore everything. I'll just, like I said, I got a couple data points, and I'm going to draw these lines between them, and now I got a grand theory, and it just does not work no matter how you look at it. All right. I mean, it's really incredible, and we've talked in past shows about some of these careers, people, 
unfortunately, unfortunately passed away. But I mean, just really focused on that aspect of the Bible. And it's really to the, the detriment of everybody because they're missing a lot of the important stories and really the teachings and uh, really in, integrating things into the biblical story that really just shouldn't be there. So it's, it's really a shame. Yeah, and uh, you have to counter it also too. Is uh, takes that time too. I guess. Yeah, I mean, if I was uh, quote unquote smart, I would go right along with it, and I then I would be invited to speak at conferences. I'd be invited on all these shows. I'd have my books being sold off the charts. I mean, if I remember correctly, you've looked at the Amazon prices for Stephen Quayle's book. Genesis six giants. I mean, it's selling for hundreds of dollars, literally hundred. I mean, I don't know if anyone's buying it, but I'm just saying <laughs> that's the price on it. Wow. It's unbelievable. Not to mention, <clears throat> I proved that that book contains plagiarized material, but Hey, you know, that's just a fact. Who wants to bother with that? Right. And so that's what I'm doing in this book. Again, is just interacting with what, Various people at various levels of studiousness are saying about Og. And just, oh, look at that. 42. Man, 4295. Like a dozen Plus you of can them. get plagiarized materials nice. out of it, too. He yeah. lifted something from like a 19th century book, too, right? Wasn't that it? I, remember uh, I don't recall, uh, but the author is Charles DeLoach. And yeah, in, in my book, uh, Nephilim and giants as per pop researchers I, I actually had the unfortunate privilege of proving that he's straight up plagiarized and it's too bad because i actually reached out to stephen quayle before i said anything public just merely asking him uh, really does your website contain chapter samples from your book before I ever had my hands on his book. And I didn't even get a reply to that. So then I just kind of had to go and just went where the research took me. And unfortunately, that's where it took me. Yeah, that's the book. He just straight up copied and pasted from that. Yeah. And uh, full pair, full yeah. oh, full chapter straight up. Yeah. Um, now, I'm going to be fair enough to say, okay, let's say that, uh, you know, Charles Deloach wrote this book and Quayle plagiarized him. That doesn't necessarily mean that the nephrology is faulty. That's right. It doesn't necessarily mean that. But it is. <laughs> it is faulty. <laughs> his, his nephrology and his raphiology are not biblical straight up. It's just that's just a sad truth. I mean, it's unfortunate. Believe me, I would much rather have these. Um, well, <laughs> Aborigino. <laughs> Aborigino. What's his real last name? I forgot. Alberino. Alberino. Right. Is Alberino a Nephilim uh, promoter? I don't know. Sadly, he, he is a neo theo sci fi promoter. I On Twitter, I just asked him a very, very basic level question. And his reply was Do you have a degree in Nephilology? That's it. Wow, that's and, strange. And I, and I, it was too bad. And I went on to just tell him, look, I'm just trying to sharpen iron with iron with a brother here. I mean, that's all I'm trying to do is just to have a discussion. And he, that's it. I was, just, I was just irrelevant because I, I brought up uh, 
issue that apparently he finds too inconvenient to discuss. And it's a shame when brothers are going to be treating that, each other that way. Just because when it comes down to it, they don't have anything to back their assertions. It's a shame. I does mean, he? I, does Alberino have a degree in nephrology? I don't. I'm not sure that there's any such a thing. I don't think there is either. I'm just saying. Why okay. would he even ask you that question? It's to, it was strange. to be dismissive. It was to be oh. dismissive. It was to be like you're not qualified to even ask me a question. Goodbye. You're gone. You know. It's too bad. Uh, it's kind of like when uh, Gary Wayne has been claiming that Nephilim were quote-unquote giants for years, right? And all it took is little old me just asking him, hey, how do you know how tall they were? How do you know they were giants? And he had to admit, I don't know how big they were. That's what he said. I mean, this book has so sold minute. so many copies. It's off the charts. Oh, yeah. you, had a, you debated him, right? Well, that's what I'm referring to is to our debate. I mean, all I, I just asked them the simple little question. How do you know how, how big they were? He's had to admit he doesn't know. Well, then I said, well, well then um, I intimated that therefore he can no longer refer to them as giants. And he refused. He said, no, I'm still going to refer to them as giants. Now, what kind of sense that, that does that make ethically, logically, theologically, linguistically, that you don't know how tall somebody was, but you're going to refer to them as a giant? I mean, why not refer to them as little people? You might as well. I mean, what's the point? Yeah. It's just, <laughs> uh, it's just kind of tickling people's ears. I think that's really it. You know, they it is, really need it to have something very, very different, bring it kind of current, and then, like, there you go. So, I mean, this guy's books have sold. Because the thing is, when I first started hearing about this, these subjects, I'm like, look, look, let me give you a metaphor. And this is actually a true metaphor. I enjoy lifting weights. I lift weights all the time. And so if you want to learn about weightlifting, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to go online, you're going to buy magazines, and you're going to learn about um, bodybuilding specifically from professional bodybuilders. But after a while, you're going to realize, well, wait a minute. Uh, uh, should regular guy, me, be exercising like a professional bodybuilder does, who, by the way, are just saturated with all kinds of drugs, steroids and GHG? No, it doesn't work. So likewise, when I first heard about these subjects, I did went online and bought the books by all these super well-known guys, the pop researchers. Well, who else is talking about this stuff, right? And it was absolutely fascinating. It was so interesting until eventually I started thinking, hmm, gosh, I don't know. Maybe I'll start looking into this for myself. And I found that it's just a house of cards. That's literally all it is. It's a beautiful house. <laughs> the cards are stacked very neatly and interestingly, but it's that's all it is. I mean, it's based on just... Um, like I said, building a grand narrative out of much ado about nothing or not very much at all. And so this is why, again, going back, the man, the myth, the legend, and part of that is because I'm talking about the real Og. And then myth and legend part is because, uh, as you know, I've got a whole chapter just about the, uh, particularly the rabbinic literature 
uh, and the legends about Og. And and why don't you read that quotation that you you found so interesting? Because that was we find uh, some of this uh, myth and legend in the Midrashim, which um, they're not Midrashim are not uh, strict biblical interpretations. It's more like sermonizing, right? It's more like a homiletical like uh, application and all of this. So. Yeah, read that this, one. That was this is by Ephraim Halvanov, and it is, quote, It is important to remember once more the old adage that one who believes that the Midrash is false is a heretic, yet one who believes that the Midrash is literally true is a fool. <laughs> and you can, so you could probably substitute... You could probably substitute biblical, the Bible, or something in that in, in the place of Midrash. So, like, you, you could be a heretic for believing it's false, but then literally true all the time. I think that, I think that would work. Well, yeah, and, and just the concept of what does it mean to take something literally, that's an entire discussion all on its own. But I'll tell you what I found interesting. So there's a YouTube channel that I listen to a lot, and it pertains to UFOs and aliens. Because you, you know I've written about that. My book, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey Aliens, and then my book series reviewing movies with alien and UFO themes. But this guy is more like a level-headed, um, critical thinker about those issues. So he ends up doing a lot of debunking. I mean, what are you going to do? You know. And it's funny. When I listen to him, I could take some of his shows and just edit out the word alien and UFO replace the word Nephilim and then edit out the names of some of the people he's talking about and replace them with all these pop researchers. And it would be the same thing because it's, it's the same shtick. It's the same exact thing about making much ado about nothing or not very much. It's literally the same shtick up and down the block. I mean, it's, it's kind of incredible and sad. It is kind of sad. That, that that's a good um, good place to pl plant your flag, though, is on the UFO aliens thing. That's that's that'll tickle ears, you know. That's a good one. Yeah. There's some problems with a lot of those stories too. I mean, oh, but see, if you're really smart, what you do is you tie the Nephilim into the UFO and alien phenomena. That sounds good. That sounds like really really. Oh yeah, that's very popular. Absolutely, very very popular. For real? No. So there are people talking about the aliens being Nephilim or something like that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, really? I didn't know. Oh, yeah. I or, thought you were joking. No, well, okay, so see, this everything, okay, everything is potentially very complicated. So let's think about the, the word alien. What does that mean? Let's go with extraterrestrial. Okay, extraterrestrial alien. Well, by definition, angels, for example, are alien. They're not from this world. They're extraterrestrial. They weren't born on this planet. So there you go. There's one usage of the word and concept of alien or extraterrestrial. You can say angels are extraterrestrial aliens. Yeah, absolutely. That fits the bill. So you go from there to that um, certain manifestations of what we would call UFOs or whatever, UAVs, flying saucers, are actually angelic or uh, rather demonic activity and there is something to that incidentally uh, because when you're looking into the issues of aliens and ufos the occult is never far away ever they're generally joined at the hip if you look long and deep enough it's inevitable so that, that so that's one of the issues is again 
I'm not, you notice I keep saying much ado about nothing or not very much because, because I know that there's that little bit there and who knows, there might be something uh, to, to look at there. But my issue is taking the not very much and turning it into, like I said, an all encompassing theory. That's now a worldview and a hermeneutic. That's a whole other issue when you're taking it too far. Right. And so for instance, let's say that uh, alien UFO activity is angelic and or nowadays, you know, after the flood demonic, that wouldn't necessarily involve Nephilim, not necessarily, because they were born right here on Earth. And they're half human. So anyhow, I mean, that's all. I See, just, if, I, if just anything, I guess you could just meld it all together in one big you know, tapestry of kind of uh, folkloric worldviews and putting it all Absolutely. together and then people just be interested. It yeah, goes yeah, into there's... like with this interview I had just with this guy Tanner Boyle about 14 stuff. You just put it all together. Nephilim, aliens, uh, fairies, just do it all together. But there is and a now, correlation. Yes. I've done an interview, I can't remember the author, but the demonic old demonic. If you read the old demonic tales of people who've been visited by demons, they're very similar to UFO scare stories. Yes. The scarier elements of the UFO stories. Right, right. Visitations that, in bed while you're sleeping. It's always at night. Yeah. There's so, some so kind of mind meld thing going on. And that's some of the, the point, again, is there is something to some of this, uh, but it's when you're literally making a living off of spinning tall tales and that are demonstrably nothing but tall tales that's like a whole other issue so so yeah there are nephilim researchers who all of a sudden decided hey i know i'll take the whole bigfoot yeti sasquatch phenomena and i'll mash it together with with my nephilology because why not now now i got more to do right now i can take this entire field of cryptozoology and mash it together with my and I got a whole new audience pool, right? I got a whole new audience pool as well. Absolutely. Nephilim. Right. Now we can do Bigfoot as Nephilim. And we're That's old right. Baby. And in fact, this is, this is true. On the Ancient Aliens show, they said that maybe Goliath was a Bigfoot. Wow. I'm not even exactly that. That's exactly yeah. what they said. It's just the whole thing. All those barriers are going to break down into one big hodgepodge. I got I to write mush. that book. You have written, I mean, I'm looking at it right here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Ten oh, you're going to be counting for a on while. On this subject. Oh, yeah, just this books. subject, yeah. Yeah, just the Nephilim kind of idea. I mean, we're yeah. kind of drifting off of that. But just the hey, fact hey, that you know what? There's some, Maybe. we did the one, uh, we've done Nephilim and Giants as per pop researchers. Hey, now, so wait a minute. Maybe you need to get me an honorary doctorate on Nephilology, see? I That's can put one works, out today. Right? Yeah, I'll send it to you, no doubt. I will definitely PDF that. You can put it up on your wall. Then I can it's tell good. It'll be good oh, anyway. Yeah, yeah. You can get right back with Alvarino. You can just say yes. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I do have a doctor in that wall. I've written 10 books on the subject. You're an expert. I will just, I will be like making you into a knighthood over the internet. Like oh, you are yes. now enemy so, doctorate of nephilology. Yeah. Sir, I Sir, I mean, right? Fire, fire says, quit screwing around, you guys. You know Bigfoot travels in the UFO. It is a known time. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Now, that's actually... I travel yeah. in there, too. That's good. So a lot of people do claim that Bigfoot is correlated to the UFO phenomena. And my theory is uh, the, the Bigfoot is the pet 
of the aliens and whenever they drive by whenever they fly by the earth they let them out to use the bathroom there you go that's, that's a good my theory too. stick into it oh man that's good i mean that's really what's really scary is like you start taking this down that road and you're into parody like they're parody making a parody of the bible with all this nephilim stuff and that's a that's a sacred text it's 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 funny but it's also there's a seriousness seriousness there too like guys what are you doing so these you guys know, have spent so much time and effort yes. you know and then they'll like complain that, that uh, the corporate church you know they put down the church so much the church doesn't want to hear it they're not having us at their church services to teach this stuff and it's like dude neither would i Okay, if I, I was a either. pastor of a church, I would actually invite you so we could sit down and have a chat. I'm not, I'm not giving you my pulpit. That's for darn tootin'. Yeah, <laughs> set you straight, get proper doctrine. Like, he would just sit down with these giant people, Nephilim people, and go, what are you guys doing? What are you doing? But, let, but okay, so let's think about this. The top guys you could think of, right? Um, Horn, Quail, Alberino, Merzuli, all those guys how many of them have how many of them have debated these issues how many oh it's got to okay. be on one hand three i don't even know if it's three i know i debated uh, gary wayne uh, i debated tj stedman but he's nowhere near as well known as those guys he's like on my level which is like a nobody and i'm i'm just saying that's just a fact like these guys um, are all very popular they're popular figures right Gary but Wayne's why why is it that christians who specialize in various ologies right how come they're always out there discussing and debating not i don't mean just having a platform to open their mouth and make whatever claim they want i mean actually debating these issues and being challenged how come these guys don't accept any challenges from anybody except like one percent of them if that much <laughs> that, that's odd i mean something somebody has to reach out to these guys and say why is it that you only go on shows and do interviews where you're just given a platform to have your say and nobody challenges a single word you're saying? Why is that? Why don't you discuss this with somebody who's going to um, actually challenge you and see what your theory is made of? It's, it's bizarre. That's like one of the time immemorial things with biblical issues is to have that sense of, iron sharpening iron you sit down why is your doctrine false why is it wrong it's always been there it's been there through christ it's been there old testament the advent of christ death of christ right through through paul it's always what is the right doctrine but you know what my saying is that when we seek to sharpen iron with iron someone tends to get cut right. and that, that might be just... one of the things too like they might be a little sensitive like hey I don't want to go through be reproved right a little sensitive and also uh i wish i could make a living off of this stuff that'd be great because i really enjoy it and if i could make a living i would but then when you're making a living off of this stuff you, you think you're gonna risk having it all ruined but with somebody confronting you with facts i don't know it would take some level of integrity to to say you know what um adoring fans who have supported me for decades oopsie I was actually wrong. It'd be nice if that happened, but I don't know. I just don't know what happens at a certain point when your livelihood is on the line. I'm just saying. Right. I forgot. There was a guy I just heard this week, and he said, 
you'll never solve a problem that would I can't remember the statement verbatim but you'll never solve a problem if your livelihood depends on you not solving it you know so <laughs> like that's really true people won't won't do it if there's money if there's uh the incomes at stake and uh Joe, joker 37 he's saying they like the echo chamber right they like the echo chamber and um we were somebody once asked me not about nephrology it was a different issue but somebody asked me oh boy did these guys ever listen to themselves and i said almost exclusively right well and, and it is it, it is the case where you get into these little tight circles and everybody's agreeing with everybody nobody's challenging anything uh, especially because if you challenge anything you're gone you know you just won't be seeing you'll be um, set aside uh right. and then you just it's confirmation bias you know it's, right. it's a circle you get it's in a there circle of confirmation oh <laughs> it's my other cat this is california poppy her name's poppy she's she's a savage oh i bet um anybody have any questions for ken i mean i think we covered it all there's a i mean these your works are out they're really well researched so you have all the quotes you're going through time you're going through the jewish jewish sources um all these other things about you bringing in some of the other uh, material from your other books uh, um so where's the best place for people to get this new book that you just put out the king you know with, you know well with independent authors such as ourselves it's always best to purchase directly from us so i mean you could reach me through youtube Facebook, Twitter, and, and like, a, I don't know, eight other uh, social networking sites. And of course, I mean, if you want to, you can get it through Amazon and maybe some other book um, related booksellers. In fact, I went on walmart.com the other day and I found some of my books. I have no oh. idea how they got there. Oh, that's <laughs> <Walmart>. amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. I find I my books arrived. in strange places. Hey, I, I have a I'm being sold on Walmart. <laughs> you are. You put some of my stuff on archive. I found my book on archive, Z Library. If anybody wants a free copy of Abomination, it's oh. on Z Library. Oh. One of my favorite book stories, I'll just this is a kind of a little story. Uh was I told I had this version of Abomination with all the pictures in it, and I didn't publish it for copyright reasons. And that book, like found its way on archive I'm like what's really? this version doing on archive how no, did this get out it's so incredible that wasn't but, me and, and it actually no. could, it couldn't be because uh archive.org deleted actually everything I've ever posted there just gone oh, wow. I didn't know that. so yeah and no I never did that that wasn't me I mean it's it's all good I mean it's that book is 10 years old it's hard to believe I wrote that full decade ago wow I was researching it a decade ago research and then publish it so um anything you'd like to add so i'll put i'll put links in the show notes to your social media twitter facebook youtube channel still up which is good how many how many subs do you have there now true free thinker oh you, well you, you know a lot of work there yeah let's not talk about that okay. oh <laughs> sorry <laughs> things are sad. i thought you had over like i thought you had over like ten thousand. like you, I, don't, I never paid attention to that but the site is down so i don't uh, it's a source. Hold, your YouTube channel's down? 
Oh no! Oh no! I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were talking about YouTube. Oh, I thought I was. Oh, maybe. I'm no. Uh, well, True Free Thinker is my backup YouTube channel. Gotcha. The other one is just my name, kind of me. I don't know. I don't pay attention to how many subs I have. It's not well, a you big put, you, put, you have a lot of material there, don't you? I mean, you put a lot. Of well, stuff yeah, there. I have a lot of material. It's just um, YouTube bombed me so many times copyright strikes and all that stuff that they really ruined my channel so yeah of course there's good stuff on there but uh barely get any audience i don't know i think that they're going to probably start ratcheting up the uh the censorship as we get closer to the midterm so i, I expect this channel for people who are on my channel right now i can't get into my old william ramsey investigates uh version one and the best place to see my shows i don't post all of my interviews that I do with somebody else, they're on any podcast distributor, but you can find it on iTunes, Amazon now, Google. And so those, I'm just not gonna post here on YouTube. And I've put up a lot of stuff on West Memphis 3, the one I did with Ken, I took off YouTube and put it on my Patreon too. So people feel like supporting me or going to check out some of those. I'm gonna probably put up some more very interesting material on Patreon through a paywall that hopefully be protected and I won't yeah, Patreon come after me. I don't know. Right, right. Anyway, but uh, Ken and me, thanks so much for your time. Anything you'd like to add? Anything I missed before we wrap it up? No, just uh, appreciate the audience interaction. You guys are great. Awesome. Yeah, great audience. Thanks, guys. Thanks for uh, adding. Yep. They really do. The, the cool thing about this, like you and I have done shows we've recorded without StreamYard, but the people add all these interesting comments and yep. uh it really is a much, I think, a much more interesting and rich experience to stream with people kind of Love, adding. Yeah. And I forget yeah. names too sometimes. So these they yeah. help out with some of the stories. Anyway, Ken and me, God bless. Great to God be with bless. you. Congratulations. Thanks Thank so you. much. All right, okay. Bye bye. Stay there.